Good day, good day, legends. Welcome back or welcome if you're a new listener. Now today, folks, I'm sharing two tales of cryptid proportions, and I'm also using a new piece of technology. Thanks to my special Patreon supporters, I've been able to purchase a brand new DAW, which is a tool that lets me manage my tracks and edit my audio on the fly. Now there are challenges in learning new applications, so it may be a little bit strange at first from an audio side, but I assure you I'm tweaking and improving every day to polish it and really enhance it. The DAW that I'm using now is called Reaper, and with it comes a lot of cool tools. It's all to improve the podcast. Your first tale is The Beginner's Guide to Contacting a Cryptid which is exactly what it sounds like. A bit of a ritualesque creepypasta, a step-by-step guide as it were, and your second tale is a childhood memory, a body horror monstrosity story, some of my favorites. I hope you enjoy both you legends, and a big thank you again ahead of time for my patrons that helped me get this awesome, awesome tool. Cheers, mates, and enjoy. The Beginner's Guide to Contacting a Cryptid Since it's the Halloween season, I thought I'd share a small legend that occasionally makes its way around town where I live. There's a lot of dense forests here in Seattle area, and people like to tell stories about a tall, hairy creature that walked between the trees at night. There's lots of Bigfoot rumors around here, but they say it's definitely something else. More like the Michigan Dogman or some kind of werewolf. The big difference is that it has an animal skull for a face with sharp rows of teeth and large, empty eye sockets. Or at least, that's what people say. See, the thing is that the legend says it doesn't like to be watched. And it recognizes and avoids all kinds of cameras. Convenient, I know. This, combined with other details that I'll mention later, leads me to believe that this cryptid could have been a regular person at some point. Anyways, the story goes that it lives deep in the forests near Seattle and Bellevue, watching hikers from a distance and feeding off of deer and wild berries. These food sources can be inconsistent though, which leads to the main risk that I'll get into after the instructions. Most reported sightings are around Coal Creek, so that's probably where you'd want to go if you're looking for it. That's also where it gets its most common name, the Coal Creek Demon. Some people say that it's a vengeful spirit from the long-lost mining settlement that used to be there, but that sounds a bit too melodramatic to me. I'd say it's probably the result of some freak accident, but I'm not a scientist or anything, so who knows. There's no real reward for encountering this so-called demon that I've heard of, but if you want to seek it out anyways, Here's what you need to do. Results are far from guaranteed. It can only be in the one place at once, and it doesn't live to serve your interests. If nothing else, it's a fun excuse to go camping with some friends. Required supplies. To conduct this ritual, you will need a gift, described below, camping equipment, flashlights, blindfolds, a remote activated light source. Some of these items are only necessary for certain approaches, so you can read ahead and decide what exactly you need to bring. Instructions Step 1. Prepare a gift. 
This could be a metal token of some kind or trinket, but it's usually recommended to bring a nice meal consisting of red meat and berries. This is a very important step because without a gift, it most likely won't show up. And if it does show up, you need to leave immediately. Step two, set up camp deep in the woods. If you can still see lights from other structures, you aren't far enough. You'll want to go in the late evening so that you can set everything up just before sunset. Step three, put away all recording devices and limit your light sources to your flashlights. You can also start a fire as long as it doesn't burn too bright. The idea here is to create a welcoming environment while also maintaining a protected area. Step four, set up your remote activated light source a few feet away from the edge of your camp and place your gift next to it. Keep the light switched on for now. Step five, sit back and relax. Once the sky is pitch black, you just need to wait for a sign. Feel free to chat and play games with anyone you brought along with you just as long as you all have a clear view of the tree line. Step six. Eventually you might realize that something is observing you from a distance. It could be a tall shadow in the distance, the snapping of foliage, a sudden unnatural silence, or just the feeling of being watched if you believe in that sort of thing. If you notice any of these signs, it could very well mean that you've made contact you're now ready to move on to the next step. Step seven, stop all conversation and reduce your noise as much as possible. Switch off the light next to your gift and make sure your flashlights are pointed away from it. This is also when you need to pay close attention to these instructions as any mistake past this point will cause a demon to panic, which can have very dangerous consequences. Step eight, the demon should now approach your gift slowly. Stay calm and avoid any noises or sudden movements. Do not shine a light on it or take out any recording devices. If everything is done correctly, it will take the gift and briefly gaze at the people in your camp. However, if it ignores your gift and instead starts moving towards your camp, you need to get up and run to the nearest shelter you can find. Your lights will no longer matter, so just focus on moving as fast as possible. If you can't find anything nearby, try to hide in the surrounding foliage. According to all known recollection, it can run much faster than any human. So whatever you do, do it fast. This is the point at which most would be content to stop. So if you've had enough, just stay in place until it makes a small bowing motion with its head and walks back into the forest. But if you're an idiot, like my friend, you can continue through these next steps and potentially get a much closer encounter. I don't recommend it, in my opinion. You're just asking for trouble by now. Step 9. While this creature is near your camp, Quickly eliminate all sources of light and put on your blindfolds. This is where it comes in handy to be using flashlights since turning them off is much easier than dousing a fire. Step 10. The demon will now feel free to explore your camp and inspect you up close. 
You'll hear it rummaging through your supplies and pacing around you. You might even feel its breath on your face. But you need to remain calm and stay still. And whatever you do, do not remove your blindfold. This creature is known to be relatively passive towards humans if unprovoked. But if you happen to hear any sudden sounds of distress from your friends, immediately evacuate the area as described earlier. Step 11. Wait until it loses interest and walks away. Once you can no longer hear its footsteps, you're free to take off your blindfold and turn your light back on. You have now stood face to face with the cryptid and lived to tell the tale. So you've got some bragging rights with anyone who's willing to believe you. Like I said, there's no big reward, so it's mostly just about having the experience. Important notes. Now, let's talk about the risks here. As you may have assumed by now, stories say that it has an occasional tendency to eat people. So, there's that. However, based on my research, it seems to only do this when starved or provoked. So you don't have to worry as long as you play it smart. If anything, you should feel bad for the hikers that run into this thing with no preparation. I'd recommend going out during the summer or early fall, since that's when the blackberries are in season and the wildlife is most active. That's just my theory, but most of the darker stories I've heard take place during winter, so I'd say it holds some water. Now, like I said earlier, there's a chance that you could startle the demon and cause it to panic. I believe this is usually caused by it suddenly being caught in clear view by a person, so that's why you don't want to shine a light on it or try to record it. If it panics, then it will either run off in a hurry or attack the person watching it mostly depending on how far away it is. That's why it's a stupid idea to let it walk around your camp, because one mistake could be enough to put you on a missing persons poster. Past Encounters Because of the positive reception to this post, I decided to do some more research on this thing. I found a lot of neat stuff, but there's too many stories to go over them all, so I'll just cover the big ones. The case of Brian Matthews. So, back in 2004, this kid found himself in a bad situation, and I'm not just talking about him having two first names. At the age of nine, he's out on a hike with his parents when suddenly they turn around, and he's just gone. I don't know what they were doing having him at the back of the line, but that's not the point here. Obviously, they immediately panic and run around yelling to him, and when that didn't work, they went to the police. Within a few hours, park rangers were sweeping the area, and after two days with no results, they brought in the National Guard. While they were out searching on day three, the kid turns up, but not with the cops. Instead, a group of backpackers find him sitting on a tree stump 20 miles north from where he went missing. When they brought him in, he was healthy and well-fed. When asked where he'd been, he just said that he was playing with a friendly bear he'd met. When shown an artist's sketch of the Cold Creek Demon, Brian immediately identified it as the creature he was talking about. Articles quote him as saying, Did you meet him too? When he first saw the sketch. In my opinion, this is a pretty big boon for the ex-human theory, unless there's some species of wild animal that just so happens to have a habit of caring for human children like a parent would. Stephen's Camping Trip Now, as I mentioned briefly, my friend Stephen carried out this whole process and ended up getting in over his head. At the time, we were both graduating high school and he went on a camping trip with some other scenes to celebrate. 
I would have joined, but I was down with COVID at the time, so that was a no-go. Besides, I wanted to give him some space since I knew he had feelings for one of the people going. I should have seen it coming that he would do something stupid to try and impress her and screw up massively. The group was telling scary stories around the campfire one night, so he brought up this ritual, and of course, some of the people wanted to try it. He didn't want to look like a wuss, so he just went along with it. Once they started to get things rolling, most of the group checked out and walked down to the beach instead, including the crush. It was way too late for him to back out by then, so he just won the award for world's biggest backfire. So at this point, it's almost pitch black outside. The four remaining people are putting beef jerky on a paper plate, and Steven's just trying to keep his pants dry. They sit out with the plate for a while, and just as they're about to call it quits, the thing actually shows up. Everyone there is totally paralyzed, but they still move on to dousing the fire and wrapping bandanas over their eyes. I can only assume their brains were just running on autopilot by that point. Now it's pacing around the camp, slowly rustling through their bags and inspecting them one at a time. When it gets to Jack, this really wiry kid with red hair, apparently its breath hits his face and makes him jump in his seat, shaking off his blindfold in the process. The whole group hears a dry shriek and takes off their blindfolds just in time to see him get thrown into the tree line. And they all bolt out of there. Stephen went and ducked behind a big log, spending about 20 minutes huddling in a ball and freaking out. When he heard footsteps approaching, he thought he was done for, only to see that it was the rest of the group coming back from the beach. He ran up to them and started incoherently rambling about what was going on, but he realized that the demon was completely gone. Imagine walking back from the beach only to find the people you left there cowering in a shrubbery and rambling about a giant monster that isn't there. I wouldn't even know what to think. Of course, they didn't believe them, even though Jack was covered in bruises and scratches. I guess they thought it was some sort of elaborate prank, and just ended up being pissed. I wouldn't believe him either if it weren't for the fact that I know he could never orchestrate something like that if he tried. Overall, it was a very bad night for Steven. And that's all I've got. If I remember anything else worth mentioning, I'll be sure to update this page. Thanks for reading, and good luck out there. Signing off, Bucket. And this story was written by Bucket28. A Childhood Memory In this big aging Victorian house, I still remember driving up there the first time, seeing the tall spire, its shadow seeming to envelop us as we approached. Nathan wasn't much older than my dad, who was in his late thirties, but he certainly looked older. He'd travelled all across the world and, much to my delight, he'd often regale me with stories about his time abroad. He'd talked about how he'd camped on the African Sahara, or how he'd sailed through the Arctic Circle. He was a bit eccentric, yes, but my uncle was one of the finest men I knew. He was the kind of person who'd give you the last dollar if you had it, even if it meant he'd had to go hungry. He always talked about the people he met, or the culture he experienced, often times while we fished for cod in the nearby river. 
Nathan would always talk about the old phrase, walk a mile in another man's shoes, and now I should always see both perspectives. He was a good man, and even today, I respect him infinitely. There is one night, though, that stands out in my memory of him. I was eight at the time, and two of us had just finished work on Nathan's old jeep. The sun was just about out of sight, Peeking over the mountains and casting an orange hue across the sky, Nathan sent me to bed, since we needed to be up early the next day. He hoped we could squeeze some fishing in before I'd go home. As I pulled the covers up, I heard a small clattering outside. I was curious, so I hopped out of bed and crept downstairs. The drapes were pulled back, allowing me to see Nathan, sitting on the edge of the porch. He seemed sullen. Breathing heavily as he scanned the tree line, it was then that I noticed the shotgun in his right hand, cold steel shimmering in the sunset light. A small plastic bucket sat on his left, filled with some kind of indescribable red sludge. I looked around the small clearing, noting its various landmarks. The jeep? The large rock near the trees that Nathan let me climb, even mountains in the distance. One thing that caught my eye was the shed, just off of the right of the house. It was a shambly built mess that Nathan had always kept locked and bolted tight, with several chains. He'd forbid me from going inside, saying that it was filled with equipment and I could get hurt. I only remembered this because it was one of the few times Nathan had been stern with me. Now, the shed was wide open, and I could barely see the glint of metal in the darkness. The sun had finally disappeared, casting darkness across us. Nathan checked his watch and started looking around. A rustling in the bushes caught our attention. Nathan's grip on the shotgun tightened. A white form emerged from the woods, straddling across the clearing like a wounded deer. It had to have been seven feet tall, its limbs stretching and morphing as it moved. Its body was deathly white, composed of some amorphous substance not unlike gelatin. Human-like eyes peppered its form, moving to and fro in a bizarre frenzy until eventually settling on Nathan. A set of teeth, partly human and partly animal, emerged from the creature. Its head, if it could be described as such, looked down upon him. Saliva dripped from his mouth and, as Nathan placed the bucket before the beast... It looked at it for a moment, before another head emerged from it, diving into the bucket and consuming the fluid with a loud slur. The creature continued to stand before Nathan, almost as though it was waiting. I heard Nathan speak. Well, what are you waiting for? Get the hell out of here! The creature continued to stare. I told you before. I'm running out of options here. You think it's easy finding shit you'll eat? I had to put down a dog for that, you fuck. Its grotesque, pearly white teeth shone brightly in the waning sunlight. They curled into a frown as the creature's eyes focused on Nathan. It edged closer towards Nathan, whose form seemed so much smaller than the beast now. I could see his hands tremble as he raised the shotgun on the creature. The safety disengaged with a loud... Nathan spoke, his voice crackling. Get the fuck out of here! The beast reeled at his defiance, 
his many eyes piercing into him. The mouths covering his body all morphed into angry snarls. Its head snaked from its body and set inches from Nathan's face. It was so close I could see the organs and limbs forming beneath its disgusting pale, translucent skin. Lungs and kidneys floating around, connecting and disconnecting with other organs. Then it just turned and left. I watched its pale form gesticulate and morph as it disappeared into the bushes. Nathan stood there for a moment. He stared into the distance like a statue, the wind blowing through the clearing in a shrieking crescendo. I watched him collapse onto the porch, head between his hands as he wept. I moved away from the window, unsure of what to think. I crept back upstairs and crawled into bed. As I stared at the ceiling, it was then I became aware of a light scratching on the window. I turned and immediately froze. There it was, the creature, staring directly at me. Its cancerous form was planted firmly against the window, a single arm protruding outwards and scraping the glass. I wanted to scream, but it felt as though every muscle in my body had locked up. Its mouths all curled into devilish smiles and it stared at me, slime dripping and smearing against the window. My breath caught in my throat as I watched one of its mouths open and an eerie human tongue emerge. The tongue lapped against the window as the beast moaned quietly. I took my attention from its horrifying display just long enough to realize it was edging the window open. Just as I appeared to slam the window shut, Nathan pounded upstairs and threw the door open. He eyed the creature, raised the shotgun and fired. Glass and slime flew about the room as I pulled the covers over my head. Another shot resounded whilst I felt my sheets become wet. Suddenly, I was grabbed from the bed and embraced. I screamed, only to realize Nathan was holding me, crying. He had thrown the gun down and told me he was sorry, and that he never should have brought him there. The beast was gone. When my father picked me up the next day, Nathan took him aside and whispered something to him. My father never told me what he said, even on his deathbed. I never went back to Nathan's home, either. I went on with my life. I moved out, got a girlfriend started going to college. I never even really thought much of my experience. I figured it was some kind of bizarre night terror. However, one day I was with my brother for a family gathering and the topic of my uncle came up. When I asked her about him, she unceremoniously told me he'd died. When I pressed her about it later, she said that he died under bizarre circumstances about a year after my last visit. Curious, I decided to investigate further. I checked into the local police station and managed to sweet-talk the receptionist into letting me look over the files. What I found was... Oh. The report stated that the house showed signs of forced entry, yet Nathan had apparently died of a self-inflicted shotgun wound. I couldn't find much about his death beyond that, so I decided to go directly to the source. I went to the house. The road was completely decrepit, Huge rocks and bushes forcing me to abandon the car and hike the rest of the way. The house was equally destroyed, graffiti and peeling paint coating its monolithic walls. I broke open the door and poked around for a few hours. I still found nothing, apart from an insane amount of cobwebs and dust. Then, 
while searching Nathan's room. I tripped over a loose board. I caught myself, thankfully, and turned back to pry open the board. The space beneath filled with the piles of rotting paper. I rummaged through the mess and found a small, leather-bound book. It was almost like a scrapbook, but it contained a fairly large amount of newspaper clippings, most of them dated to after my last stay with Nathan. They were all about missing children. The kids had disappeared from the surrounding towns. Someone or something had gone into their homes and spirited them away during the night. The papers reported that there were no real clues, only that small amount of clear slime were found in the children's room. I was unnerved, to say the least. I quickly grabbed my things and left the building. The sun had just fallen behind the tree line, bathing the open space in front of the house in amber light. Just as I started to head back towards the car, I spotted something moving in the bushes. I thought it might be a coyote or a mountain lion, but a cold chill ran down my spine when I got a better look at it. An enormous creature, probably about eight feet tall, has stumbled out from behind the brush. Its limbs splayed about like a spider. It dragged itself out of the barren field. Then a worm-like head emerged from it and turned towards me, a pair of pearl-white teeth curling into a vicious smile. As I looked over the rest of its body, I saw that the creature was attached to the end of a huge, tentacle-like appendage that trailed deep into the woods. I could see something beneath its translucent skin. Something eerily human. I tried to tell myself it wasn't moving. I tried to forget the muffled screams. The two of us stood there, staring one another down. I finally broke from my paralysis and ran down the trail. Once I pulled into the driveway, I just collapsed against the wheel and started crying. For about a week, I couldn't go outside. I was a complete wreck. I couldn't stand the idea of going the same way Nathan did. I considered calling the cops, but I knew they'd just think I was insane. I can't go into the forest anymore. And even when I am near one, I can't shake the sense that I'm being watched. I'm still not really sure what I encountered, nor do I have any intention of ever finding out. While I've considered the idea of returning to try and kill the creature, I have little doubt I'd suffer the same fate as my uncle. The old Victorian was destroyed along with half the woodlands in a massive forest fire. I hoped that maybe the creature had been killed. But then I turned on the news this morning. Three children stolen from their homes in the night. The police were baffled. No fingerprints, no DNA, nothing. The only thing they could find was translucent slime slathered on the children's window. And this was written by Control-Alt-Delete. Well, mates, nothing beats a freaky cryptid story. And I hope you all enjoy today's tales. Especially that kind of body horror-esque ending for the second story. The fact that his uncle, Nathan, was completely absorbed by the beast is purely terrifying, to say the least. And it's doubly confusing, right, that Nathan kept feeding this creature... Whether he was responsible for the kids dying or the creature was out of his control, I'd love to know the backstory of how Nathan came to even meet this creature. Mates, thank you for listening. 
I want to say a massive thank you to my Patreon supporters. Firstly, my Ode Knight T Titan, the king of storytelling supporters, Matto Star. Thank you, you legend. I've been working my way through your lovely email response and rest assured, you legend, expect a response heading your way this weekend, mate. I just wanted to say thank you so, so much for your support. I've been able to purchase another new set of music that I've used in this episode thanks to your support, you legend. Thanks, Matto, my supporter and my pal. Cheers, mate. Expect to hear from me soon. And my white tea warlord, Lazuka Rex, blowing apart the demon of boredom with one clean shot. Thank you, you legend, Lee, and your ongoing and endless support. You are brilliant and never let anyone tell you otherwise. Thanks again, mate. I've used your support for overheads this month. And thanks to you, I can cover off that monthly website upkeep. You're a legend. Cheers, man, my pal. And of course, all of my remaining Patreon supporters, I am lucky to have Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Sunshine Days, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffaele, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Paige Kramer, Jane Gumnick, and Michael Krupp. Thank you all for your ongoing support. You are magnificent people. Now, pour your tea, make it nice. Ensure your flavoring is precise. Like a story, let it flow. Let the fables and tales take you home. It's these stories that bring us together and old audio that reminds us of how we've changed. Stay a while, have a listen, and as always, I hope to see you again. Thank you so much for your support, and thanks for listening. Catch you Monday, you legend.